I'm in my classroom during one of my free periods. And um, a student knocks on the door. Not one of my students. I, he wasn't in any of my classes. He wasn't in, he wasn't one of my athletes or, you know, wasn't in any of the shows that I directed. Nothing. He comes in. I knew who he was. Hey, Ms. Valerio, can I, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. You know, I was, I was head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, kids came to talk to me about that stuff all the time. He comes and sits down. He's like, Miss Valeria, I love you. I, you know, I really, I think you're great. I, I really am so glad that you are here, but you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Your star is rising and you must follow it. And I had no words. It was this 15-year-old 10th grader who I didn't really have a relationship with. And he saw this in me. And I was too busy to see that in myself. That is Myrna Valeria Legends. And you were listening to the Epic Table Podcast. Team, second week of March, first full Monday to Friday of the month, which means... We are intermittent fasting as a community. Not all of you are, not all of us are, but just just uh, if you are interested in intermittent fasting and you've wanted to learn more about it or you've wanted to do it with a group of people so you didn't feel left out alone, that's where we come in. And you can just simply head to danchurchill.com, go to the resources banner and download the intermittent fasting planner. We release these on Wednesday, so obviously we are halfway through the week. And so as a result, you may have missed out on the full week this week, but you know, it's completely up to you. You don't have to stop or start when we say to. We just tell you when we are majority of the time doing it. In fact, most of us do the 11.30 till 7.30 p.m. eating window. So that's the eight hours from 11.30 a.m. till 7.30 p.m. If you want to join in, be my guest. Some of you are actually eating uh, less, or at least the eating window is less, which means you're fasting or intermittent fasting for longer because you've seen the benefits. But please be my guest. Go download that uh, intermittent fasting planner at danchurchill.com. As we said, last week's guest was going to be awesome. It was so clear hearing the comments and reviews and everything we got about Carly and her podcast. She's just, like people were saying how it was just two spirited conversations going about life and people individually shouting out the same thing about how awesome it was to have this kind of activity and excitement around a movement together. And I just felt the energy from the get-go of having her on the podcast. As I said last week, I've known her for some time. I've had conversations before and getting getting her on was just a blessing. I actually had her on half an hour before we set, hit the record button just because we got to hang out. But yes, I'm stoked you like the podcast. Continue to share the podcast that you truly love and relate to you. And I hope some of you were able to pick up the book. And if you were not able to pick up the book from Plant You, you were able to at least backwater it to some degree. This week's guest, obviously on the same path, Myrna is awesome. And this is a pretty eye-opening conversation for me in a number of ways. Um, it helps me be more honest, and I'm a very honest person, but I become I, sh- I show a bit of vulnerability here, which I have no problem showing, by the way. But she's very vulnerable. And Myrna is someone who has done everything I feel like in life. I feel like as I, was, as I learned about Myrna and then as I actually started recording the podcast, she kept listing out things that she's done in her past. I'm like, wow. She's like, you know, she's been in performance. She's been a teacher. She speaks a number of different languages. Um, I'm like, wow, 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 wow. Which you will definitely hear yourself and just be like, this, this woman is an absolute savage. Love her work. 
But what is really, really eye-opening to me is we start the conversation around her journey about how she built a, a blog around fat girl running. And I love how she do- she talks so much about this. She's so open about it. And that's why I think part of her her content is just uh, amazing to so many of us. She just, if she wants to do something, she goes and does it. Love that. Whether it be running a 5K, a 10K, a marathon, uh, you know, doing these longer versions of uh, any form of endurance events, and which is amazing. But where I, where, where the conversation shifts for me, firstly, she talks about uh, black people and anxiety. She also discusses the, the, to date, the issues that we faced in the system. She talks about how she herself um, firsthand refers to experiences that just no one else or white people like myself would not experience and so I think for me what I hope out of this podcast is firstly you get inspired by her story and maybe it opens your world to perspective more which I love providing as you'll hear from me where I garner perspective from something that a brief story that I bring up that really opened my eyes to how I was viewing the world and I've been brought up in a very open uh, equal family my mom and dad are absolutely beautiful when it comes to that and still like there was this one moment I'm like whoa I didn't realize that's absolutely terrible the way that I viewed this one thing not in any form of obvious racism or anything but how I because I was brought up in a society where I didn't have that perspective I just until I viewed it I was not able to see it and it's not like I did anything wrong I didn't do anything wrong per se but it's just like I think that's where I'm getting from this and there's particular stories that she brings up and talks about how I'm, I'm loving, this is what I love to learn, that I hope you guys take away. So I'm really stoked to have this conversation with Myrna. I think her, she, I think she's so, uh, she's so epic in the way she discusses her, herself and her journey. Um, but you definitely see her across all forms of platforms. She's been in, as you're about to hear, the Wall Street Journal, Runner's World. She's been on NBC, she's been on Nightly News. And her book is epic too like she has a pretty incredible book if you're someone who loves to read and you know learn more about these kind of things you definitely need to pick up a beautiful work in progress it's a memoir of her work and i love everything about what she stands for so myrna i know the community are going to get behind you they're going to love you for you what you are and what you stand for so for you to let the world see that anyone can run and for you to open your heart to understand how you know african-american black people see are, are seen from your perspective for us to see it all i thank you and so welcome to the epic tale podcast Myrna valerio Myrna Valeria, welcome to the Epic Table podcast. Thank you for having me, mate. I uh, I was just telling you, I've spent, I've I've been uh, like seriously into your website, reading and listening to your words for you know, obviously as soon as you popped into our life. And um, this is like, 
I think I first heard you on Rich Roll's podcast, um, twenty twenty. So like that was yeah, like two years ago now, right? You've been on there a couple of times, I believe, or you at least Twice. know Rich well. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, listening to your story there and just hearing you was awesome. So that's my first connection with you. But uh, before we actually go into the podcast, I have another connection with you already. Considering you are also a coffee snob, and I think this is really, <laughs> really crucial because uh, a lot of my listeners are also coffee snobs. So do you just want to kind of talk me through what you are currently drinking right now? Because this this will just set the tone for how awesome you are. Sure. Um, this is a freshly ground Honduran roast. I forget what particular area of Honduras um, it's from, but uh, it's medium roast. I've already had a very dark roast earlier this morning, a French roast, because um, that gets me up. And I, I I always drink it while I'm having my training session with nice. my movement trainer. Nice. Um, and uh, and then I like to follow it up with something a little lighter, uh, but not too light. So this is a medium hunter and roast. And, you know, I ground the beans myself and <laughs> and um, and there's some grounds in the bottom of it, which I will chew afterwards. There you go. And, and when you travel, I'm curious, do you take your like, do you have a travel pack of coffee grinding things yourself or do you have particular coffee locations you go to upon your travels? I, so I, I have a business manager who yeah. does the, all of that for me. And so she <laughs> makes a list. She makes a, an itinerary of all of the coffee shops that I need to visit uh, when I travel. Wow. So, she's worth so, every penny. Yeah. She, um, she's a foodie and she's also a coffee snot. So uh, <laughs> that is so awesome. we work together really well. That's great. Honestly, majority of my listeners, if they're not already coffee snobs, they've definitely since listened to this uh, podcast over the years, definitely grown to love coffee even more. <laughs> uh, but you are an absolute legend, mate. Like I really just, I think uh, people hear me say legend. I'm like, you define legend in so many ways. Uh, First off, you have the most beautiful selfies. Like you really take amazing <laughs> selfies. So I just want to straight that off the bat. But it's Thank just you. really incredible. Um, you use in your in so many ways your amazing voice in such a – I wouldn't even say it, it's powerful, but it's so easy just to kind of understand and be and learn from it. You know what I mean? I just mm. – you're – you've got – like a, a so many arms and legs to what you've done and, and your story is amazing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I like, I think when I was writing down questions, I'm like where do I, where do I honestly start? Like, where do I start with this awesome chick? So for you, I think I'll just create context and you are, I love this. I love calling you uh, like, cause you, you still to this day get little, uh, as I heard, you kind of get apprehensive about when someone calls you a pro athlete because you, you feel like you're not a pro athlete but you actually are because you get paid to be an athlete right yeah you know what it's it's still makes me feel a little bit weird because you know when you typically think of somebody who is a pro athlete they win things yeah. <laughs> I don't win anything <laughs> most of the time I'm last um and uh you know, but but I but I do have sponsorships and partnerships with with companies that support athletes. So um, so but but I never I never want anybody to think I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not. But you know, I'm I am just who I am. I am somebody that brings a different d- demographic, on, and you know, I actually not alone. Um, there are 
lots of other people doing the same work that I'm doing. Um, but we, you know, we bring these companies a different perspective, a different, as I said, a different demographic or group of people that could be potential customers, <laughs> consumers of whatever product they're trying to sell. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's really, it's really cool. So yes, sure. Um, <laughs> if you want to give me the label of pro athlete, I will, I will take it. Um, and just keep doing the work that I do. Well, I mean, you got a son who's, uh, sounds like he's pretty decent at basketball. So having his mom that way, I'm sure he's <laughs> going to give you claps as well. But no, I think you're, what, I, I love what you're trying to say, but at the same time, you're, your impact transcends the typical relationship of that, you know, between you and brands. Like you have genuine mm-hmm. impact and and voice power. And, you know, I think an athlete these days is, 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 is just that there is obviously the performance side of what they do, but there's also the other side of what they do, which you have hands down one of the, the best platforms for. Um, but that all began, you're a teacher and you had a, a pretty, impactful thing happened to you on a drive home. Is that right? Was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, so I was a teacher, uh, for many years, 18 years, in fact. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I, and I miss it every day, but this is super cool what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I worked at a boarding school in New Jersey. I, I it was a very, very busy and stressful job, but I loved it. I, you know, I love being around teenagers. I love being a parental figure. I loved, um, you know, being uh, someone that they could come to on the weekends or during the week in the dorm, in the classroom, during activities, you know, going to Target on the weekends, that, <laughs> that sort of thing. But I also, so I did that. I, I taught Spanish and then I ran a diversity, equity, and inclusion program at the school along with another teacher. And but in the, I was also in grad school at the time uh, for writing. <laughs> and um, I was also on the weekends teaching private music lessons. I'm a musician. I'm a classically trained singer uh, and pianist. And so I taught singing, piano, French, German, you know, whatever people ask for on the weekends at or near uh, one of the former schools that I taught at. Until so I'm I'm busy. I don't sleep a lot. I am, you know, as I say, I was killing it at work. <laughs> but in the process, killing myself. <laughs> because I, you know, I didn't sleep. I was always driving back and forth to Maryland. I was always at school. I would get up at four o'clock in the morning, maybe go to bed at uh, 1130 or 12 or one. Um, and so on this drive back from from my weekend gig, which I loved dearly, um, I started having chest pains, which I thought was it a, a heart attack. Long story short, I decide to drive home, which is not the smart thing to do um, ever. <laughs> Just call 911. Um, but I didn't do that. I, I got home. Obviously, I didn't die. I uh, was driven to the hospital by a colleague uh, I was triaged immediately, and um, you know, after eight hours of testing and poking and probing, they say, "Myrna or Miss Valerio, you are not. You did not have a heart attack. That's good news. It's great news." I'm like, "Oh, thank goodness!" Uh, but what you did have was an anxiety attack. And I'm like, "What? <laughs> that's that's not possible." Because <laughs> I didn't, you know, you know, black people don't have anxiety attacks. I mean, you know, and that's a whole thing about black blackness and mental health, which, you know, uh, is a whole subject unto itself. But, um, 
But what that made me realize was that, of course, I was having a panic attack <laughs> because I was doing all these things and, you know, taking care of my son and and, you know, my family and trying to be great at work, which I think I was amazing at work. <laughs> uh, I'm, in fact, I know. And uh, but I wasn't amazing at you know, caring for myself, you know? Um, and so that was a, that was the, you know, part of the catharsis that came about from that, from that moment. And then also, you know, as I followed up with the cardiologist, you know, I learned more and more about what was going on in my body. I had a lot of inflammation. I, um, you know, and he, and he had listened to me tell him about all the, all of the things that were going on in my life and said, hey, you know, um, do you want to live to see your son grow up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you got to say it like that? <laughs> okay. That was my response. And um, But I knew what I had to do. Uh, you know, I wasn't, as I said, I wasn't sleeping. And that, that has always been an issue for me. Um, just because I, I love working so much and I just felt like I need to work all the time. And, um, you know, I took a hard look at my life and then began the long process of reprioritizing uh, things in my life so that I could take care of myself. I could prioritize my own health and wellness um, above and beyond anything else. Uh, and when I did that, you know, I got back on my treadmill and my treadmill was in my office and, you know, I cleaned it off. I started it <laughs> and it was very painful, <laughs> you know, because I, I had been, I had always been an athlete. I'd, you know, since high school, I was a field hockey player and I was a lacrosse player. And those, I love those sports so much. Uh, if I could play lacrosse again, you know, I actually love it more than running. I'm just, <laughs> um, I would do it. Um, and I, don't get me wrong. I love running. Running is number one. Um, and then skiing and then cycling. And anyway, so I, you know, I got started again. I knew it was going to be a really long process. It was very physically painful, mentally and emotionally painful um, to just face the fact that I had let myself get to a point where I, I couldn't run a mile. And so... Um, but, you know, I got back on the treadmill the next day, the next day, I took a break the following day, and then I got back on the next day. And then gradually, you know, over a period of a couple of weeks, I was able to do more. And I added, um, you know, I had some crunch stuff. Remember the crunch gym? Does that still exist? <laughs> yeah, it's still around. Yeah, oh, okay, it's still that's around. right. That's right. Um, you know, I would do videos. I'd do like beach body yoga booty ballet. I would do. I would do the Sean T videos, anything, you know, just to, to make sure that I was uh, strengthening my body and, and, you know, getting rid of that inflammation. And, and I slept more. Um, I was very, I tried to be very strict about you know, when I wasn't on duty to get to bed by 10 o'clock and then to stay in bed <laughs> until at, at least 4.30, you know, so that I would get more sleep. Uh, I've always been a like super early morning person. Uh, that's what's when I'm be my best. I'm my, you know, with the help of coffee, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, and so like I, so I switched things around a little bit. And so that, that was the start of now. You know, I haven't looked back. And of course, there have been um, some challenges and, and difficulties. But uh, that was when I 
recommitted myself to myself. That's powerful. That's that's huge. I think like I've got so many notes to take from that, but there's there's some clear fonds of love there, right? You've got you've talked about your history with lacrosse. I'm actually interested. Like, mm-hmm. what position were you in lacrosse? Well, I played um, first home. Nice. Um, back then, um, you know, offense because my shot was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> get it? Yeah. You couldn't catch the ball, but I could shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of mates. I got a couple of mates who play it professionally. Um, guy named uh, Sergio Perkovic and then also uh, Rob Pinnell, um, both mm. play in the Premier League. And watching, like, I remember actually had to go with them one time. Uh, it is not exactly easy. I mean, I don't mind contact because I played rugby, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. but being able to catch a ball in a net and then throw it and particularly do it with certain accuracy at fast pace, forget about it. Um, and also you running. You got to catch it. it. You got to cradle it. You, you know? Yeah. And you know, with, with men's lacrosse, I mean, it's much more of a contact sport than women's lacrosse is, but women's lacrosse has evolved into, uh, you know, having much more contact. Um, but yeah, you've got to, you know, if you scoop it up and then you cradle it. So at the, you know, at the perfect angle, so it doesn't fall out yeah. uh, and you're watching for people around you so that they don't <laughs> check you, you know, it, it's awesome. It's like, what, what an incredible sport. I mean, I could talk about it all day. I'm very curious as the, is obviously, uh, you know, that, that that's a team sport, right? Mm-hmm. The team environment. Um, and we'll talk much more about running in a second, but that's obviously a solo effort. So it's like, I'm curious as to know what you love about the sport of lacrosse um, so much in comparison to, you know, I, I guess running, why you do mm-hmm. have lacrosse or something. Well, you know, I, <laughs> honestly, it was because it had the same coach as field hockey and my Ooh. field hockey coach, um, Dot Harrop is- Shut up. And she's incredible. Yeah. Shout out to Dot Harrop. Um, she was the one that got me hooked on field hockey, which then because I was in field hockey, I noticed that I had to run a lot. <laughs> and so I started running because of field hockey, because I'm going to get wanted to get better at field hockey. And then um, and then she coached the lacrosse team. And I wanted I wanted to be part of that because she was the coach. And also lacrosse is just so different from anything that any of my friends friends or my family had ever played mm. and it and you know most of the field hockey kids were in lacrosse too and I love that team so much I just wanted more and more there was so much camaraderie and there was so much of an emphasis on just being the best athlete you can be that's awesome and, and so and I love that I love that about it being the best you can be is massive and I mm. think you definitely you're the best like when you li- listen to you and what you talk about and what you um, you demonstrate is like you are doing you, right? You are mm-hmm. being the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious though, when you were learning, when you were like in that phase of being better for you, did you know that all these classes you were taking or even jumping on that treadmill and um, and, and I'll be honest, I, I, I've been around to a number of places, particularly when I was growing up as a like an exercise space, I've seen a lot of people with those treadmills where they were used as effectively drying racks uh, and not <laughs> treadmills. So I'm sure they can relate to that story and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're like, oh, I actually have to get an actual drying rack because I now have to use my treadmill. But, but curious, did you did you know what you were doing when you started that or did that come from your training um, during college or, you know, through your, your recreational um, you know, activities? 
I knew what it was to run. I knew I had done a lot of running on the treadmill mm. in my early 20s, right as I was uh, in my in the early stage of pregnancy with my son. And I was I was on the treadmill all the time. And I and it was part of my it had been part of my routine. I lived in New York City. I'm from Brooklyn. Yo, Brooklyn. <laughs> and <laughs> and, um, you know, where you walk everywhere. I was, you know, I had a couple of gym memberships and that that was just part of the, my fabric of living in New York, walking everywhere, going to the gym. And so I knew I knew what it felt like. I knew what it was um, to feel physically good in my body. Right. And and when I lost that, I knew exactly what would bring me back. Interesting. That's awesome. I just the reason why I asked that is well, I'm thinking of so many people who are like hesitant to get started and they just don't know how to get started. And what you've done is just essentially just got on the treadmill and walked a mile or ran a mile or you know what I mean? And just done it. And I feel that it, when people are waiting for that moment to start, it's kind of like, just do it. And then you get into this inspirational moment of like, and then as a result of doing it, you do more. And then you start right. asking the questions where you need to. Yeah. You know, I, I like to do things without any expectations of myself. Um, and you know, and also knowing that, it might hurt a little bit. I'm, and I'm not talking about pain to the point where it's dangerous. It yeah. might hurt a little bit. I'm going to be sore. Look, I'm still sore every day after I ski. <laughs> <laughs> but I keep going back because it's <laughs> there's something about it that, you know, that just makes me want to go back because I get to be outside. And I'm thinking about all the things that it gives me, right? Sure. And so, you know, I get on the treadmill that, you know, after having three and a half, four years off. And I, I mean, I knew it was going to suck. <laughs> And I knew, and I knew it was going to take like a month for me to feel better, but I was going to keep doing it. And I was, you know, you know, I, I, I like to say, um, you know, to give yourself grace and space, you know, you have to, you know, you have to be patient with your body. You have to be patient with your, with your mind, um, because it takes a long time to change things, you know, just yeah. give yourself, you know, and you don't have to go all out. I, I went for a mile. You know, I was like, that's because that's my litmus test. You know, I, I know, I know what it feels. I know what it feels to feel good when I, when I run a mile. Yeah. And so I want to get to that point. I know it's not going to be now, but I want to get to that point. That's you. And then when I feel, when I start feeling better, then I'll add some more mileage on. I just, I, I just, in so many ways, I hear that problem being an issue for so many people and you're just mm -hmm. doing it, which is awesome. And so I'm assuming then from all these content pieces you were posting, did that kind of start your your next part of your chapter where you're like, hang on, there's something outside of teaching in a school that I can still be teaching and create another career path? Because, you know, you're no longer teaching right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that how it all started? Well, yeah. I mean, so yeah, that that day in 2008 was where it all started because mm. I, you know, after, um, I'm not going to say mastering the mile again, because I never mastered the mile. There's some work I need to do on my mile, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, after, you know, getting better after, uh, and feeling better and knowing that it was better, you know, for me, it meant, you know, uh, you know, being able to run the full mile mm. uh, without walking breaks. Now I, you know, I walk with breaks now. I, I run with breaks now. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a slightly different human being right now, but, but that's what I wanted to do. And I, and I achieved that goal 
And then I, you know, I said, you know, I need more goals. I need, maybe I need to run a 5k cause I had run 5ks and 10ks before. Awesome. All right. So started training for our local 5k. Didn't like my time. <laughs> so I was like, you know, as endurance athletes are prone to do, I need to do that again because I want to get a better time. Um, and so that's how that started. I, you know, I started, I did a lot of 5Ks that summer and the following summer, added some 10Ks. And, and of course, I'm, you know, I'm playing tennis with my friend and we're going to pools. We're getting those week long um, gym memberships to try out different gyms because I was in New Jersey at this point. And, um, and then, you know, I, I was running so much and, and doing so many things that my school, the athletic director at school says, hey, can you take some girls with you while you're running and we'll call it coaching <laughs> and we'll pay you. <laughs> Whoa. So, so I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that was just such a gift to me mm. because, you know, I felt like myself again and there's nothing better than being able to pay that forward yeah. uh, and giving it was an all girls school. So giving these girls an opportunity to just feel really good in their bodies, yeah. to, to push their bodies a little bit, to know the incredible things that you could do with it, you know? And so that was really cool. A highlight of that time was taking them out on our last run of the season, which was a nine miler. Huge. And, and, and most of these girls came in, they couldn't even run, you know, for a minute without stopping and, you know, and heaving and <laughs> and all that stuff. But we went, we, we did nine miles over, uh, you know, uh, maybe 10 or 12 weeks and it was awesome. Awesome. And, um, and so, you know, so I kept doing that and, uh, and I kept increasing my own distance, um, signing up for half marathons, you know, uh, with my, with my friend, uh, Nikki, who's a big figure in my book, um, you know, because she said, well, you know, I have my own fitness goals. Let, let's just do it together. And I actually like to work out by myself, but, you know, Nikki and I know each other really well. And she would sometimes um, <laughs> I would always write down my workout or what I plan to do on a little sh sheet of paper. And sometimes I wouldn't finish because I was crazy. <laughs> And it would be too much. <laughs> but she would see the paper and say, you know, we left out those two exercises. Like, you know, we didn't do the plank and we didn't do, <laughs> we didn't do the, the skaters. Um, I was like, well, we don't have to. And she's like, no, you have to do with whatever's on the paper. And so I eventually just started sticking that paper in my bra so she wouldn't see what the workout was. So we, we continued on this way. We did our um, half marathon, our first half marathon together. Um, and, um, I signed her up for it. She didn't know I called it a ladies weekend, but that's another story. Um, and yeah, and I just started doing more half marathons and I loved training for the long distance because it took me outside or I'd be on my treadmill for, I actually really love the treadmill. I love outside more, but I love the treadmill. I have, yeah, I have a treadmill right behind me. Uh, I was just on it last night <laughs> and, you know, and I love it. And I love the fact that it, you know, it works I can work on my speed. I can work on different things. Uh, and it's a, and it's a point of accessibility for me. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we did that. And then another colleague was like, Hey, Myrna, you should sign up for a marathon. So I ended up signing up for the Marine Corps marathon, 2011. Um, again, love the training. It wasn't easy. You know, there were very, very many points where, and I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I'm chafing everywhere. Like everywhere hurts. I'm hungry all the time. I cannot eat enough. Um, 
what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then I, you know, I did the marathon and it was very painful because I was also coming off of an injury and uh, my first big injury, which was uh, an avulsion fracture and my, and my left foot. And um, I wanted to do more, even though it was painful. And like, as soon as I crossed that finish line, I was like, well, I can clearly have to do that again. I'm going to get a better time. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so while I was training for that, I started my blog, Fat Girl Running, because um, I'm fat. I'm a girl and I run. I'm fat, still a girl still run. Uh, but I've added a host of other activities to that. But um, yeah, and so that's, I just wanted to tell stories of how, um, what my experiences were in doing endurance sports. And, um, you know, the things that people would say to me, both positive and negative. Um, and, and, you know, I also did race reports because, you know, they're, as far as I knew, there were no race reports from people that looked like me uh, in all senses of that um, phrase. And so that's what I did. And then in fast forward to 2015, when Wall Street Journal comes along and says, hey, we love your blog. <laughs> what? Yeah, cool. I mean, who? I thought Who's my that? mom was reading my blog and I don't even know if she was reading it. <laughs> you know? It's like the one viewer is like, mom, I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> Turns out it's actually a mass more, you know, like, you know, when you get the comments from random people that are yeah. actually only your mom just doing five different counts to make you feel like you're good. Yeah, totally. Thanks, mom. Love your work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, mommy, for your support. <laughs> oh, wow. Wall Street Journal. That's not a yeah. small, that's not a small place. No. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I had, I actually had gotten some attention from like just little not little, smaller outlets. But I, you know, I just, I thought that was, oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> oh, they, oh, they liked my blog post. That's really cool. That's sweet. That's awesome. But then, you know, then Wall Street Journal comes along and I'm like, oh, well, more people are reading this than I thought. Mm. Um, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but even with that, even, even with, with that, I was like, oh, well, this is cool. Oh yeah, I'll do. Yeah, sure, I'll sure. do the. Yeah. I'll do the interview. Um, yeah, let me check this, my schedule. This, this yeah. article. I mean, look, I was busy. Okay, I was yeah. working in another boarding school. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that was 2015. It is 2022, right? Is that the year? It is 2022. 2022. I had to check okay. myself for a second. And I was like, wait, is it 2023? <laughs> um, and, um, and it's been so cool. It's been mm-hmm. so cool. So I left teaching in 2018. And I, I have to tell you the story. Please. Um, there had been a couple of, of sort of signals <laughs> from the universe and from people <laughs> um, that it was time to move on. And, uh, and I had been toying with this idea of middle of leaving teaching, but I wasn't fully committed to it because I, I didn't really know anyone. I knew one person who had left teaching and was a successful diversity practitioner. Um, but I didn't think I could do it. Right. But so the first message from the universe was when I got a, um, got to do a, a shoot with JC Penny. Oh. And um, I had done some some social media work for them previously, and um, I couldn't believe that they asked me to, to come out and do the shoot in Boston. And um, and it was a lot of money, and I at, and I'd worked for seven hours. 
and it was <laughs> about a quarter of my salary. And and I was like, oh, uh, is is this how people do? <laughs> is, this, <laughs> is this this could, world that I have no can, idea can about? I, you know, and it was it was cool because like I I'm a performing artist. I you know that's that's part of my background, and so I got to be the talent. I got to be on stage. I got to, you know, run. <laughs> I got to, um, you know, be on camera. And it was so fun. And it was it was seven hours and it was over. And then I got a big check. And, um, and it wasn't just about the money. I was like, this is mind-blowing to me. This is absolutely mind-blowing. And that was at the end of 2017. And that video came out in 2018, early 2018. And, and you, know, got a, you know, people were talking about it. And then a couple of weeks later... I'm in my classroom during one of my free periods and um, a student knocks on the door, not one of my students. I, he wasn't in any of my classes. He wasn't in, he wasn't one of my athletes or, you know, wasn't in any of the shows that I directed. Nothing. He comes in. I knew who he was. Hey, Ms. Valerio, can I, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. You know, I was, I was head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, Kids came to talk to me about that stuff all the time. He comes and sits down. He's like, Miss Valeria, I love you. I, you know, I really, I think you're great. I, I really am so glad that you're here. But you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Your star is rising. And you must follow it. And I had no words. It was this 15-year-old 10th grader who I didn't really have a relationship with. And he saw this in me. And I was too busy to see that in myself. Um, and, and I said, wow. <laughs> I, I was speechless. I'm never speechless. <laughs> 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 and I, you know, I just, I didn't even know what to say, but I, but I said, thank you. And I, and I hugged him. Obviously, this is before COVID. And um, <laughs> I said, wow, thank you. He's like, yeah, you need to, you need to go follow that. And, and so right after he left, I made a call to the head of school and scheduled an appointment. And then when I went into that appointment, he's like, I, I already know what this is about. And I had been at that school for five years. I really loved it. I loved my job. My kid was there. Um, we had a, a beautiful house in the mountains, <laughs> you know, um, but I, but I knew it was time to go, and so did the head of school. And and that was that. And I left I left school in 2018. Um, you know what they say about jumping, even if you don't don't know the net is there or something like that. I don't, I don't know what yeah. the phrase is. I'm really bad about like aphorisms <laughs> and phrases. <laughs> um, but that you know, I didn't know what was out there. Um, but I made that leap. And it, and it worked. It happened. Um, and it's this this beautiful life that I have not made by myself. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of hands in my success, and I am so grateful for that. But um, it's it's just been so cool, stressful, <laughs> and anxiety inducing, but so 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 cool. Oh man. Wow, I just like uh, I feel watching watching you explain that part of a moment of your life that is obviously it, it, it's 
I think it represents a lot for a lot of people. And I think that's what's so amazing about it is that we forget to sometimes truly like look inside ourselves because mm. it, it took someone else to externally tell you something you probably you recognized internally for you to then action. And, mm. and that's, it's, it's absolutely common. Not that you need affirmation, not that that's your language necessarily. Mm. It's more a case of to bring to your realization that in order for you to move on someone else who, yeah, as you said, is this like this awesome 15 year old individual who you didn't have a particular personal relationship with, just tell you externally, Hey, hey I see what you got going on. I see what you're doing here. You're <laughs> awesome. We love you, but you have a greater path here. And I, I think that's pretty special. Oh, every, every time I think about that moment, I'm, I, stop and have to take a deep breath because like if that moment hadn't happened, you know, mm-hmm. a 15 year old. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, know people have, have things to say about teenagers, but they're pretty awesome. They're pretty awesome. <laughs> your, your son case in point. And four years later, here you are on the Epic table. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, you've made it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. Okay, so 2018 happens and then where where did trail running come in? Did you just like go, okay, like uh, I'm going to go from marathoning. What's next? What's even harder? What, what am I going to do? Is that how it went down? Like did you just no, challenge no, yourself further? <laughs> I actually started trail running in 1999. Oh, wow. Awesome. In, in the Bronx. Get it. Great <laughs> I used to place. live in Riverdale, right across the street from Van Cortland Park. And I had been taking this um, this running clinic that had been put on by the Hospital for Special Surgery, um, one of the greatest hospitals in New York City. And, uh, and it was a free workshop, a free clinic uh, over eight weeks where the goal was to run the Avon mini marathon back, the, back then. It was sponsored by Avon. Um, and uh, it was a 10K. And so we we trained for it. And it was like super, super cool. And then I got really into um, doing 5Ks after we had finished our 10K. I was like, well, if I can do 10Ks, I can just do a lot of 5Ks. And, and every weekend with New York Roadrunners, I would do whatever race they were putting up in Central Park or, or Brooklyn or Staten Island or uh, wherever they had, um, they had races. And so um, I just I just loved it. And so one day I saw that there was a race in Van Cortland Park and I had seen the Van Cortland Park track club out there running and racing. And um, I would see them on there. There's a, a one and a half mile cinder, crushed cinder path. And I assumed that this 10K that they had posted about was going to be on that cinder path. And so I'm like, OK, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. Got new shoes and everything. And so I get there the day of the race and we immediately head into the woods. Now, I, I had been in the woods because I've always loved hiking. I had been in the woods. And if you know anything about Van Cortland Park, I mean, it's like this incredible green space in, in northwestern Bronx. And uh, but we were running on it and I'd never run in the woods before. And I was like, well, this is something. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is new. And then... Um, and so I did a combination of walking and, and running and, and then I face planted about 1.2 miles in. 
and then popped back up and then kept running. And it was just the coolest thing. And then there was another loop and I face planted in exactly the same spot because there was a branch or root sticking out from the uh, from the ground. And I, but I kept doing it. And it was just so cool to run into the finish and be all sore and tired and sweaty and stinky. I love that. I love that feeling. Um when I'm finished. And, <laughs> and I was like, this is, this is so great. I love this. And, you know, and I actually started just doing that route on my own. Uh, I never did a trail race again until 2010, but I, or, or 2009. Um, but I, but I, it always was, it was a really, really good memory in my mind. And so when I started running again, I, I started incorporating trail running and trail races into the mix just because I love the woods. I've always loved the woods. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, you know, I just kind of did it hand in hand and I, and I, and I discovered that it just made me a stronger runner, um, to be able to run out in the trails. And so, yeah, and it's, it's always been, and I mean, actually now I, I just prefer trails more than anything. It's easier on your body. I mean, and also you just get to be out in the woods. I, you know, I was made for the mountains. So, <laughs> That's that's like exactly why you moved to Vermont, right? It's just it's yes, exactly. So this is this is awesome. I feel I think people just need to go to your Instagram, irrespective of it, to understand the the dynamic nature of you and your um, the way that you conceptualize outdoor activity uh, in through your eyes. And I think the lens mm. that you do it through is so awesome. And that's why like, we've been, you know, that's why I've just been like, Oh, she's so cool. She's, you know, like able to get out and do her things on top of that. Like you've gone and pushed boundaries both in the athletic world for yourself, but also in culture and justice mm. and things like that. And it's helped transcend mm. another aspect. And by the way, you, I love how throughout this whole conversation we've had so far, you've listed off things that you used to be. You have such an encyclopedia of former either, you know, either current talents that you formerly had as a profession or former professions that just help shape who you are to an extent. So kudos to you. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that you're also the head of this and the head of that. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah. But as a result, all this has led to you producing an amazing memoir. You know, I think I think that when, when I look at this kind of stuff, it's great to have like a journey and then throughout the journey, you're able to dot point and have clear purposes for each part of the journey that people can relate to. Mm. And I think that's what's really cool to see in your eyes through your book as well, which is really, really cool. So everyone just, that book is in the link. So make sure you check it out. All right. So make sure we'll talk more about that in a second, but I want to do part two of this uh, podcast now on a really cool mm. impact. When I say cool impact of what you talked about and open the eyes to even me, even like my, when I say even me, like myself, I, I class myself as someone who's been brought up in a world of equality. You know, my parents mm. have always been that way as a white male. I've always been through those eyes. However, the way that you speak about certain things makes me realize I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so narrow minded. I am so narrow minded. And I'm, open to my vulnerability to convey this through the stories that you uh, have told and we'll get into right now because I'd love for you to share some examples of what people just automatically just conceive as a result of seeing something that is like that's actually that's technically racist racist and I'm just like oh my god anyway (laughs) so we will get into this right now I'm going to start off with like I actually want to go back to one of the first thing you talked about which was black people and anxiety 
I'd love to like kind of double click on that for a second because I feel mm-hmm. there's a whole thing that I've no idea about, but I was really interested in talking about that a little bit. So yeah, mental health in the black community. I'm actually reading a book by a psychologist right now. I just started it yesterday and I can't remember what it's called, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you later. <laughs> um, there has been this perception that people who are black, African-Americans specifically, um, can weather through anything. And, you know, we all, we have this trope of the, the strong black woman or the strong black male. And, and it's, and it's been so detrimental to us as human beings because, uh, and, and also to me personally, um, because people, because it's almost as if we're not human beings, we're just bodies that are strong that can withstand anything. And that is not the truth because we're human beings, you know, you and I as human beings can't withstand everything, right? But there is that perception that ends up placing Black people in this position of when, when we do have mental health crises, it's not taken seriously, it's not looked at as anything that is worthy of intervention, um, and even, even, you know, just like within my own family community, um, we can't talk about therapists. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we're strong, right? We're strong. And so, um, I actually had last year that I got diagnosed with severe anxiety. And I mean, it's, you know, throughout our conversation and it, it's, it's been, you know, I've, you know, I've made hints that, you know, I had this anxiety, I had this panic attack or whatever. Um, but I always kind of brush it off, but it's been a constant in my life. Anxiety. Like, I, look, I, I am a high achieving, high performance person. And when I can't do that, the anxiety is so overwhelming um, that I can't function. And so the fact that I'm saying this kind of in public is huge. It is huge. It's, you know, I, and it, you know, I get these deep, dark thoughts and it's, you know, it's not fun, but you know, it's, it's easier now than it was 10 years ago to talk about this. Um, I don't yet have a therapist. I need one. <laughs> I'm looking for a black therapist and they are very hard to find <laughs> because they're all booked out. People right? in the Epic Table community, Send me if you have. Please, any, we, we need. We need a. We we would like. We don't need. We would like a therapist. All right, as black. Yeah, and you know, and so like with me personally, there's this perception that I'm always happy. I'm always joyful, and I do. I do. That's what I show on Instagram. Um, but you know, the work that I do is hard. It is. It is stressful. It is, um, again, anxiety inducing. I'm traveling all the time, um, and uh, you know, even like up to this podcast, our conversation is is. I think amazing, (laughs) but I always, I have anxiety and you know what, you know, is somebody going to try to pigeonhole me? Am I going to have to be defensive? You know, so there's, there's that whole thing just kind of about my identity as a fat person, as somebody in athletics, you know, so there, there's all of this stuff. And I, and I, um, I, I just want to stress that, um, you know, what you see on the outside, what you see on Instagram isn't necessarily, it's, it's not all the full picture. It is never the full picture. Um, I do want to show joy and adventure 
because that is very important to me. It's very important to my own personal mental health. But um, I would say that um, especially black people out there, African-Americans, um, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to, if we, if we need to talk to somebody about something, um, we should do that. Um, one of the statistics, and I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but it was there um, just in the last five or six years, the, the incidence of um, death by suicide among black teenagers, like surpassed white teenagers. And that's really scary. Uh, any kind of death by suicide is scary, but that, that was a, a, a data point that was really frightening to me. And um, again, I'll get you the name of the book. Um, <laughs> you can put in your show notes. We'll get, but, we'll get the show um, notes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that that's something that's been on my mind, uh, mental health. Um, again, I look at my son, I'm like, I'm always, and he probably is really annoyed at me. <laughs> I'm always at, so hey, what's going on? You know, is there anything that you need my help with um do you need a break <laughs> no that that's not thing, that's you know? not being weird that's being a mother i can tell you that right now <laughs> my mom calls me she calls i was on an assault bike yesterday and i was also <laughs> i was doing an assault bike and a ski erg couldn't put the phone down but i answered the call and then she didn't know how to hang up so she had trouble hanging up her phone <laughs> so for a full thousand meters on my ski erg i had mum talking me trying to talk mum through how to hang up the phone <laughs> love her to death that is who mums are so do not confuse being a mother and the stress i will say but that even but even that i think in a black community like there's just that that whole perception of strength sure. my your, your your relationship with your child or with somebody else in your family might look and feel differently mm. um, but I want to make sure that I'm keeping that line of communication open um, and and even when and I told my mom last year it was last March when I was like almost had a little crisis or a big crisis and um, and I actually went to the doctor to see what was going on with my with me and um, and I told my mom I was like well, hey well you know the doctor uh, diagnosed me with severe anxiety and so she started calling me every day. <laughs> and we, you know, we don't talk every day. Um, and she would call and say, how you doing? <laughs> you doing all right today? Which is, which is not something that we had done previously. Sure. You know, I have a, a very, very close relationship with her, but I don't talk on the phone that mm. much with anybody in my family because I just don't like talking on the phone. Mm. Um, and, you know, and it, was, it was cool to see that shift. Um, how you doing? Everything all right today? Did you get what you needed to get done today? Did you sleep? That kind of thing. Amazing. That's just uh, some of the simple things. It's like the are you okay is like how are you going? It's like, no, how are you? Is it like even just mm -hmm. a deeper question for it? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know, do you, do you feel – do you feel that black people probably don't have the same – comfortability of speaking to someone because the majority of people who are in a profession to speak to are white. Would that be a part of the problem you feel? It's absolutely part of the problem. Okay. Um, you know, there are not that everyone, not that it's, we're not a big cultural monolith, but there are lots of experiences that we share uh, and, you know, and that we've had as a community and without that cultural competence on the part of um, people in the medical profession and the, 
um, you know, people who are counselors and therapists, it's, it can be really hard mm. if you don't have any shared experiences. Sure. Um, and so, so yeah. And if, and if like, I mean, with me, like I'm happy to correct someone <laughs> or to talk them through an experience that I've had, uh, in a way that they understand. Um, but not everybody has a skill. And so it's, it's really, really incumbent upon us just as human beings to make sure that, um, we have people, especially, you know, people who are in marginalized communities have people that look like them that have some shared experiences, um, to be that for them, to be the counselors and therapists. And, and, and I know that, um, there are, probably a lot of people, maybe a lot of listeners that think, well, you know, we're all human beings. I don't see color, all that stuff. But um, that in itself is not helpful. <laughs> That's not, it's not helpful uh, because, you know, we do have uh, experiences that um, have been informed by the color of our skin. And so um, that, you know, maybe isn't your reality, but it is our reality. And so to, to recognize that and acknowledge that is very, very important. Um, this is not to say that a white therapist can help a black person. I'm not saying that. Or like a black therapist can help a white person. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the more cultural competence you have, the more shared experiences that you can draw from to offer help, the better. Yeah. Look, it doesn't matter how I've, I, re, I learned this, particularly through what happened, you know, very recently, a couple of years ago and, and still going on. I learned that even though I had been brought up in an equality situation, my parents is like, you know, they're amazing in that way because I didn't go through it because I'm not related to it. It was, it's still hard for me to truly perceive it and understand it through the eyes of someone like yourself. Mm. And, you know, like I've, like, I think I'll share something that happened to me when listening to something that you said, it made me truly reflect on my perception. This is the trigger. So I was walking around, um, I was walking in Tribeca, close to where I live, and I saw a black man in a coat. And my me and just being around New York City, you see homeless people. My immediate assumption was, oh, okay, should I go help this homeless man? And irrespective of if he was homeless or not, that was my immediate perception, and that is so not cool. And I don't, I don't know if he was or not, but that's the problem, and that's what I feel that you've been talking about so openly about is like. We're not in the same, you know what I mean? Like through the eyes, it's so important that we change that system within our eyes. And that's why I was like, okay, that's, <laughs> that was true as night as day for me. And I'm mm. open to telling people that because that is the, I feel like I finally, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't care if you're white, black, green, whatever. It's like, that's not what it is. It's like the perception is automatic and we right. have to change that perception. And the, the cool thing about being a human being is that we have the intellectual capacity to do that, Correct. right? We can rewrite that. Yeah. Um, you know, we have our survival mechanisms and our like in-group, out-group, right? That's how we survive. That's how we navigate society. Mm -hmm. But... We can go beyond that. We should go beyond that. Um, and, and part of that is developing really, really meaningful relationships with people where you know them, you understand them, you ask questions, they ask questions of you. And it's just, it's just like incredible A to B, B to A communication, that, that sort of thing. But if you don't, it's hard to have empathy um, or to, to override that initial 
reaction <laughs> um, to someone or something or some situation, it's hard when you don't have context, right? So the more that we have context, the more that we put ourselves into possibly uncomfortable situations, um, safe, but uncomfortable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the better we will be able to understand other people and to have that sort of cross-cultural communication, cross-cultural relationship, cross-cultural understanding, intercultural too. Yeah. And you've had experiences like on trails. Like I think you shared one. I think it was on Rich's one. You shared it pretty openly of how you, you had someone – call the cops when you were yeah, on Yeah, in Georgia. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was on a trail. I was actually on the street that I lived on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you want to share this story just so people uh, have understanding yeah. on this? So I was training for some marathon. Um, and, in it, and I was – I'd been in Georgia for just under a, a year. And so I lived in this beautiful valley called the Wolf Fork Valley. And I ran this, this road all the time. And, um, I was doing a 16 miler, I think. And I was on my way back. So I was out and back, um, in Georgia, everything's well in North Georgia, everything's a mountain. (laughs) So it was like (laughs) up both ways. And, um, but I was, I was running back. I was about two miles away from home and this, uh, woman in a white SUV, uh, with an out-of-state license, she just knew I was I was I didn't belong there, even though I was in like running clothes and I'd like I had a Nathan vest on and yeah. um you know I had a running skirt, <laughs> it was like a skirt and a capri thing, with with pink and white and turquoise. I mean, like I could not have looked more like yeah. a runner, you know, sure. but I was black. You know, and I'm and I'm running. I mean, I was just running, and I maybe taking a walking break, but then running. And um, and so she stopped about uh, you know, maybe a hundred yards or so, maybe two hundred yards for me, and just stopped. And I could see that she was on her phone. Um, and and I'm like wondering what she stopped for. Okay, so she's looking up at me. She's on her phone. And, uh, and then she starts driving again and I, and I'm, you know, I keep running cause I want to go home. <laughs> it's been a really long day. It's really hot. And so she drives slowly by me. I wave cause I made, you know, in Georgia, you wave to everybody, mm-hmm. right? That's just the convention. <laughs> I smiled cause I always flash my smile. You know, I'm not, I'm not a danger, <laughs> you know, I'm just out here running. Um, I did have a walking stick with me because there are a lot of dogs sure. on, um, on the roads, you know, there's, there's no leash laws where, where I used to live. And so, you know, and I would just use that to protect myself. Right. But it was an intric- intricately carved walking stick. Right. So it wasn't like a, I wasn't carrying a machete or a gun or anything, you know? So, um, so, you know, she drives off and then not even five minutes later, um, uh, police officer comes from the other direction, slows down, looks at me. Again, I wave, hi. <laughs> and I just turn around and keep going. And so, you know, he continues to kind of like check me out a little bit and then he drives off. And then another officer comes from the opposite direction and does the same thing. I was like, what is going on? And it was very clear to me that this woman who had a North Carolina plate, by the way, um, 
thought or, or just knew that I was in the wrong place and I didn't belong there with my running clothes on. And so um, I, uh, I was, I just, I was so angry. I finished my run and then I ranted about it on, on Facebook. And then some person on my Facebook was like, oh, well, maybe they thought, you know, you were carrying a gun. <laughs> I'm like, really? Really? I'm just, I'm just running. I'm just run- I'm like literally just running. Oh my gosh. Maybe I looked like I was tired and mad <laughs> because <laughs> I, it was miles mile long way. 14 of 16 miles, you mm. know, and um, maybe they thought I was carrying a gun. And so like, you know, and then of course you think of, of what happened to Ahmad Arbery. Yeah. And, you know, like he didn't make it out alive because there were people that just knew he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And, you know, I mean, that that's sometimes, you know, like even here in Vermont, sometimes, you know, when I was when I was training um, for the, the last marathon, I did the L.A. marathon, you know, sometimes there would be a road that I was on and I will go on. I will run on any road. I will run anywhere. And yeah, but sometimes, you know, you get a vibe. You get a vibe like. I, I got that vibe a lot <laughs> and down in Georgia, but I ran anyway because it was what I needed to do for my, for my physical health, for my mental health, and just <laughs> increasingly my job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, yeah. And so like, it, it can be scary, you know, when sometimes when I'm out on a trail, people know who I am now. So um, they don't necessarily uh, kind of shrink back or wonder why I'm there. Sometimes they do. Hey, Hey, you know, sometimes it's a, they're overly curious about why I'm on a trail or they'll talk down to me like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, or do you need help? <laughs> no. Or do you need do you need water? Like I have a full have a full <laughs> uh, hydration pack. I'm good. Are you sure? You good? Like in a race? Are you sure? Oh, yeah, I'm. I'm good. It's your first 5K? No, actually, I'm doing the 50K. <laughs> um, have a great day. You know, so like there are all these assumptions about, you know, who people are, what their experience is, why they're there. There's a lot of research about um, the uh, the perception of black people as nuisances in public spaces. And we've seen that in news, you know, with like out in Oakland, California, yeah. black people are having a barbecue and then, you know, the woman calls the cops on them, you know, or black people selling water bottles on a corner somebody calls the cops on them they're enjoying um splashing around in the pool that they've been invited to by people who live in the community somebody calls the cops on them you know like they, it's it's a real thing mm-hmm. it's a re- and it happens all the time i walk into a space i know people are looking at me i know it and it and it and it always gives me anxiety because I'm always like, you know, if I fumble, if I make a mistake or if I, if I'm in a store, somebody's going to follow me. I know that that's <laughs> it's par for the course. Um, you know, if I, if I, I don't want to look like I'm trying to steal something, you know, and then, and then it just makes me all jittery and everything. And then like, I knock something down. Oh no, they think I'm stealing something, yeah. you know? So like, it's this sort of perpetual heightened state of alertness and awareness that actually has a, a profound impact on our, our health, on our blood pressure, for example. Look at the stats. There's so many black people who have high blood pressure. Let me tell you, it's not because of lifestyle. Mm-mm. 
So those are the things that, um, that, you know, people, people um, who are black um, and, you know, in the United States, anyway, African-Americans have to contend with on a daily basis. It's a real thing. Well, yeah. Thank you for sharing. It's mm-hmm. like even that notion of being inside a store, I, I you just don't have to, you don't even think about that. Next time you go into a store. I'm, I want you to count how many minutes it takes for you, for somebody, a store employee to kind of get in the same aisle you're in mm, and act like they're doing something. Sure. Like they're taking inventory. Yeah. We all just did inventory last week. So, <laughs> you know, you just did it last or like hour. act like they're like fixing something or, you know, every single time I was in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago and I went into the supermarket, I knew it was going to happen. And because I was looking for something, I don't remember what what it was. And so I am looking at, and I have to take time to look at the things or to, you know, to make a decision, right? As soon as I got to this particular area, there was somebody on me. And so, you know, me being a New Yorker, I was like, I'm just going to stay here for like the next 10 minutes. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay here. I was gonna, mm-hmm. Hi, how you doing? Yep. Uh, yep. And just tinkle. (laughs) (laughs) Just mess with them. Because that is is a way for me to deal with my anger. Sure. Because I I, am so angry. I'm like, I just want to buy this charger for my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I went to like a bed, bath and beyond. I'm like, what? Am I going to steal a bed? Mm. Why are you here? Like, you know, why are you here? I don't need your damn towels. <laughs> so Damn, like, thanks. What, I, I'm trying to, because you have like some of the latest athletic wear as well. It's like on your trails, for example, and like the latest gear. Doesn't it's not, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Gosh. Oh, is this your first time skiing? I mean, last year it was, but like, yeah. you know, <laughs> but you know, it's your first time skiing? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> just do a backflip that'd be so funny you know, just do a backflip afterwards look, oh, look you know what that's where i'm headed okay uh- <laughs> <laughs> just out of just out of, you know what yeah first time first time oh my god i landed my first backflip on the first day <laughs> yeah my first thousand eighty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow hey just i i can't imagine then like oh i'm also feeling I'm also feeling that there's um, when on, on your runs in general, you, you I mean, actually, come and think about it. Like, there's a lot of black people who run long distances, like you know, the amazing sprinters. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like obviously when you're in the mountains, I'm sure that that's that's a unique experience for some people to see someone like yourself doing that, which is totally un, uncalled for, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. And that would probably, I think actually, you know, you discussed this in another podcast talking about national, like how this almost is part of the system because of the way that most of people are white doing those trails. Yeah. I mean, if you think of, of public spaces um, in the United States anyway, and I don't know how it is in other countries, but I'm just going to assume it's the same. <laughs> um that it's, you know, if you think of how our national parks were developed, they were not developed with anybody but white people in mind. 
So that means that there was erasure of indigenous populations and communities in those areas. You think of like Yosemite, you think of, uh, you know, where, where are the indigenous people? There are very few of them there. The rest of them are probably on reservations on, you know, unfarmable land. <laughs> That's where they were pushed. And it, you definitely didn't see black people mm-hmm. or anybody else. Um, and so it's going to take a long time for that to be reversed. It's not going to be reversed I, I, in my lifetime, but, um, but that doesn't mean I don't have hope. Right. Sure. Um, but yeah. And so like, it is, it is weird to, to see, uh, or, to see people like me in those spaces because we were formerly not allowed in. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was like, you, you know? actually weren't and, allowed. Right. And there were, there were, there were spaces that were designated for us, but they were not as beautiful. And then those spaces ended up being, you know, usurped by local governments, city governments, you know, you think of that, that one, one beach area in uh, California that I can't remember the name of the family, but they owned it. And uh, the, you know, through eminent domain, I think it was the, the city overtook it. And then, and then of course, black people weren't allowed on the beach again. And they just recently, the family uh, recently got the use of that beach back. And so like, and it's a very small parcel of of land. So yeah, um, but things are changing. Things are, things are changing slowly much more slowly than they should, but they are, they are changing. I'm so happy to be, you know, a very small part of that change. And I want, I want more people to, the reason why I'm, I'm on social media is because I want to, I want to be the person that people see, Oh, well, if Myrna's there, that must mean that I can go there too. Mm-hmm. If Myrna's doing that, that must mean that I can, I can try to do that too. Let me tell you something about skiing. Right. Um, <laughs> I always get, I, I get one of, I love skiing so much and it's a new sport for me. And I, and I just like absolutely adore it. I want to do it every day. Um, but I get really, I get really angry because there are all these parents and kids out there. And it, that makes me, it fills my heart up so much, but there are no black people out there. Uh, you know, maybe one or two. I saw black people yesterday at my local mountain. I was like, and I went up to them. I said, Hey, hi, I'm so happy to see you. They're like, we're happy to see you too. You know? And, um, and it was so cool. It was such a cool moment. Um, if I were in New York, I wouldn't do that, but (laughs) it's Vermont. Um, but yeah, but I, but I get, get so angry. I was like, where is everybody else? It's, um, and it's, and it's really, it's really sad. It really it's really is. angering. I've got a friend um, of mine who's yeah. a he's an ice skater, pro hockey player, PK Subban. He's the um plays the Devils, and he's him and his brothers are some of the only um, black ice skaters. And there's been some amazing mm. ones. Um, and he talks about it all the time. You know, he's he's, he, I think he's just open to the way that he's been brought up and and sees how things are. But what you're saying right now is just through the lens of how we need to find ways to continue to evolve and change and change mm. the rate at which mm-hmm. we are changing as well, right. you know. Yeah. And I, I guess you have your like your courses and the way that you that that's part of what you do, right? It's another right. amazing yeah. thing of what you do. 
um, which people can learn more by, I'm assuming, going to the website and all that kind of stuff. I actually stuff. have stopped doing them because, uh, well, uh, well, I, I've taken a break. Okay. Because uh, it was a lot. It was sure. a lot. 2020, 2021. I basically did it full time in addition to everything else I was doing. Sure, 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 sure. And uh, it's, it's traumatizing. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's a lot. But I will tell you, <laughs> it is kind of funny. Um, so I charge a lot of money for those courses. As you should. And uh, and then I bought a piece of property and I call it, I call it my reparations property. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did take a break because it was it was really stressful. And I also um, uh, kind of I was uh, it came out of not that any of this was good, but like it was a time in my life where I had a major injury and I had surgery. And so I, I was able to do those courses. Of course. Um, it's, it's essentially full time. Uh, and now I'm like, I'm training again. So, um, try to catch me. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next? What do you have? Uh, what's the next event you're doing? Um, literally right. Like 10 minutes before, uh, I got on this call with you, I s- signed up. I got an invite to UTMB over in Chamonix, France. Uh, I will not be, I'm not doing the big one because I'm, I'm still like, I'm still crawling out of, of injury recovery, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I signed up for the MCC, which is the, uh, Martini, uh, something. So uh, Martini, uh, Chamonix, which is a 40 K run. Um, kidding me it's, I, it's, love it's, I love it's their, it's their fun run it's <laughs> yes. it's the fun run and i'm like that does not sound like fun and there's 70 7500 feet of vertical gain um and uh so i've <laughs> I should probably start training for it <laughs> what kind of fun run is 7500 feet it's elevation like the townspeople it's the townspeople and volunteers oh it's the God. fun run and so uh that's in august and um, but before then, I have I'm um, doing one of the races in the Azores, uh, the Azores Trail Run, and um, I haven't decided which yet because again, I'm crawling back to running right now. Mm. Uh, I've been obviously doing a lot of skiing. Sure. Uh, I did sort of say my Instagram account is now a ski account, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but skiing has actually helped me recover and gain strength. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and so like running actually feel, it feels good again, uh, because it was very painful before I, with, with all the injuries. And so it feels good again. So I'm like increasing my, my distance. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I've got a really huge event, which I cannot say what it is just yet <laughs> in March. And that's all I'll say. Okay. In March. Um, <laughs> so just, you know, look at my, um, look at my social media. It's, it's, uh, I'm just going to say it's really disruptive. Wow. In a, in a good way. In a great way. Yeah. I'm looking forward to get a little, uh, little like, I'll share that when it comes around. That'd be uh, exciting. <laughs> so not only can you also speak Spanish, but in English, you have the ability to pronounce French words. Yeah, je parle français. Oh, Toi? Jesus. <laughs> if food stylist Marie was here, it'd be all good. But uh, I'm, I'm practicing Italian at the moment. and I'm, Ah, tu parles italiano. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> 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 that is good. 
<laughs> oh man, <laughs> Jesus! So you like got Spanish, you got Italian, you got French, you got English, you got probably gonna get Australian after this. Then you've got all the other things that you do. You are an amazing individual, man. Oh, like, you really, you. really are. And your book, A Beautiful World in Progress, is as it is named as a wonderful memoir. Um, and so. I'm just blessed to have had you for the past hour and 15 minutes. Uh, thank you so much for your time and vulnerability and openness and honesty. I think the more people talk about, you know, the the issues that you're talking about also along with the anxiety and the stress associated with it, just in general across the world, it, the better the world will be. And so thank you so much for talking about that. And good luck on your adventures this year. It sounds like you got a few of them, a really exciting one in March. But uh, is there, what's the best way for people to connect with you? And what social platforms? Oh, Instagram. That's where mm. I live. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how long it's going to be there? <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. I don't have a TikTok shtick yet, but. Sure. Uh, you know, that's that's where I live. Uh, okay. It's where all my stories are, my my posts, and my you know irreverence. <laughs> all <laughs> all the fun and games that happen. And what's the actual uh, what's the handle at at the Mernovator? And you'd be surprised. It's got a like even her website, the Mernovator. It's, it's awesome. That is a, just an <laughs> epic name. Well, Myrna, thank you so much for today. Um, we'll put you. all the respect things, including your book, in the show notes. And I look forward to going skiing with you someday. And if you're in New York City, yeah. come hang out, and we'll, uh, we'll go for we'll go for a nice little uh, run together. I won't be able yeah. to keep up with your distances, but uh, we'll be able to hang out. <laughs> you can probably outrun me by speed, <laughs> but I will outrun you by distance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, mate. Thank you so much.